0: Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player.
1: Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Ashley Edward Miller. Ashley is a screenwriter and producer best known for his work on the films Red Sonia, Thor, and X-Men First Class, and the television series Black Sails, Fringe, Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, and Lore Season 2. He also co-wrote the book Colin Fisher with Zach Stentz, a screenwriter who he often collaborates with. Ashley is currently developing Myst for television and is also working on an original anime for Netflix, which is due to be released end of this year. Ashley, that is uh, quite a bio. You have a lot going on. You're a very prolific writer, so we're really excited to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. My first question is always, where are you in the world right now?
2: Yeah. You know, um, I'm in Los Angeles, sunny Los Angeles. I, uh, you know, right now I'm, I I basically, um, you know, I'm working at home, but uh, I'm also apparently running a a school and a daycare center for, uh, for my 10 year old and my, my twin four year old. So that's fun. Um, but, uh, at least it's beautiful and sunny and, you know, all of that. So, you know, at least I can go outside and fresh air. It's good.
1: Has being quarantined affected you? Obviously, writers are an isolated bunch. They write from home anyway. Have you been affected at all? Besides, obviously, the film world has shut down a little bit, but things are still being developed, right?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think, if anything, because it's the one thing that people can spend money on and do and sort of say they're creating product for, uh, I, I think um, things have been pretty Good for writers, at least in that respect, right? And not, and obviously, you know, good is on a sliding scale. It's like good in the context of a global pandemic is like it's really not good. <laughs> but right, right. Um, it, it, there hasn't been you know a, sort of a, a stoppage and work on the uh, on the writing front because of it for sure.
0: Let's do a
1: quick reverse in time back to kind of how this all started. I mentioned your bio; you've obviously done a lot accomplished a lot so how did it all start did you always know you wanted to be a screenwriter walk us through kind of like your trajectory from the beginning to this point sure
2: no i i didn't have any clue i wanted to be a screenwriter when i was in college i had this vague notion that i was gonna write novels and then i realized i didn't have the discipline to do that and i thought maybe i'd write short stories and i realized the bottom fell out of that market sometime in the 19th century um so that didn't seem very viable, but uh, I kind of encountered screenwriting when I was I was teaching uh, my first year out of college. I was teaching middle school. I was teaching creative writing, and I was looking for interesting units to do with my kids. and And I said, "Screw it, I'll try it," because it seemed like something that was achievable for them. It seemed like there were interesting things that they could do with it, and I discovered it kind of worked for me. Uh, so. You know, I spent, good Lord, I mean, five or six years just writing in solitude um, at my writing partner on the internet. This was back in the days when the internet was cans and string and everything was in black and white, uh, you know, and it took three hours to send a photo over the, uh, over the internet. Um, and, uh, you know, we started writing together. We started developing pitches together, that kind of thing. And we ended up selling uh, a pitch to, um, to Robert Wolfe, who had just come off of Deep Space Nine. And Robert had, uh, had, had sold or was developing a, a show called Andromeda, Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, Kevin Sorbo. He bought a pitch from us. Then he bought, like, five more pitches from us. <laughs> and then he gave us a writing assignment. And after we turned that in, he offered us staff jobs. So once we had a staff job, you know, I was... I was in man. I like I, there was a little bit of uh of a bleed over at the, at the time I was neither teaching nor doing anything relevant to this. Um but uh I was kind of doing two jobs at the same time my first couple of years as a as a staff writer. But you know at, at some point it it seemed like okay it's it's working this can be a career and this can be sustainable and this kind of became my life.
1: You mentioned selling your pitch to Robert Wolfe. I imagine these days, you're still pitching shows and movies. How has it changed from that first time? Obviously, then I imagine you had less of a network, less experience.
2: Sure. And by the way, I will apologize in advance for any screeching that happens. It's okay.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> those, are my, those are my
2: toddlers. <laughs> and that's no plural. Works. So <laughs> I first my school. No, look, when, uh, when we met Robert, we actually met him on the internet. We met him in a Star Trek discussion group, and at the time, like I said, he was uh, working as a writer-producer on Deep Space Nine. And, you know, we were able to kind of strike up a friendship with him because it was a little bit the Wild West back then. People were actually open versus sort of the pretend open that we have now on social media. And, uh, you know, I was living in D.C. at the time, and Zach had just moved down here And he would go to lunch with Robert whenever we had a pitch scheduled with one of the Trek shows and just kind of tell him what we pitched. And what Robert wanted to buy was one of the pitches that we had developed for for Voyager, but didn't sell. That was the first thing he bought. So it was just a pitch that he had heard that we had come up with. When, um, When we went in to pitch him formally, we pitched him seven ideas. He bought five in the room. Um, and gave us an assignment. You know, the, the thing that helped us with that was, um, you know, we were big fans of Deep Space Nine. And, you know, I, you know, and we, we both watched those episodes again and again and again. And I went back and I just, I watched episodes with his name on it, with Robert's name on it. And I, you know, figured out how he thought and kind of what to him made story work. So when we built story, it was, it was tailored to him. So we were lucky in the sense that we managed to kind of get involved with the internet scene at a time when all of that was possible, you know, and after that we, we had an agent and, you know, manager, and I've got reps and all of that who go out and, you know, they get me meetings, you know, and it's whether it's an assignment or if it's to go pitch a thing or, or whatever it happens to be, it's, it's, it's kind of a machine now. It's, it's, it's certainly back then it was very, um, it was very guerrilla. It was very like, you know, on my own steam.
1: You mentioned a couple times that when you met Robert, it was the wild west of the internet and how things have changed. What about those writers who are listening who are like, well, what about me? How do I, you know, maybe I've got a script or two or more. Are there things you would suggest that the writers listening try to hit their foot in the door?
2: Well, the funny thing is, I think the mechanics of it aren't much different than it was back in the 90s. The difference was, it wasn't that we were sending him material to read over the internet. It was that you know we actually engaged in real conversations frankly back then it was like the whole usenet thing and it was you know flame wars it was madness and we kind of became friends through that and you know zach would just take him to lunch that was how we did it we networked if you want to you know begin to create a career number one you need to have material which we had um you need to work on that material constantly which we did and you need to network there are no miracles nothing is going to magically happen nobody is just going to say oh you have really swell ideas i'm going to give you a job that doesn't work you know it's uh it's, you have to constantly be working on it because you never know the, the lesson of of our first pitch sale was you never know when the opportunity is going to come around. And so you have to prepare yourself. You have to be in the right spot. And you have to have the right ideas. And you have to have done the work. And you, know, you have to go out and meet people and take a chance. And then when you meet them, not be an a-hole. It's as true in 2020 as it was in you know, 1998.
1: I'm going to hop around a little bit. But as far as what you're working on now, I mentioned Mist. I mentioned the Netflix anime. Walk us through kind of what's going on. Now. I know you can't really talk about the anime thing, but currently right now, when you wake up and start your day, what's your day-to-day look like and what are you working on right now? Oh
2: boy. <laughs> so, uh, so here's how my schedule works. I, I mentioned um, the toddlers. I, uh, I wake up every morning at 4.30 and I begin my day. You know, I, you know, I I generally at that point, I'm working on the the, the Netflix anime, I have emails coming in from the other side of the planet, from uh, my animation house, whether it's, you know, material that's being delivered, dropped for review, comment, or me to do my thing. You know, I have, uh, you know, scripts to work on and do revisions on, you know, I have things to prep. You know, I, I do work on Mist, um, on kind of developing, um, working on developing that pilot and kind of building that, the world of that series, which is pretty cool. Or, you know, I'm doing something original, but I'm constantly working. My, my workday goes from 4.30 in the morning until generally about 6.30 at night. Um, I take little breaks, you know, I, I go for a nice long two-mile walk every day uh you know i sometimes more than once a day if i really need to think um i'll take a nap in the middle of the day a little power nap uh, i find that 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 helps me but you know i am i'm constantly rolling man it's like it's there's no vacation time and that's that is pretty much seven days a week occasionally i'll stop on a saturday and play dungeons and dragons nice i would love to talk process
1: we always Frame our episodes around themes. In this case, perhaps you've written for TV and film. Maybe we could dive into what the differences between those are. Does that sound cool?
2: Sure. Um, Okay. okay. So, the fundamental difference, I think, uh, between the two of them in terms of being a business are features are kind of a very expensive hobby for everybody concerned Uh, and and a lucrative hobby. And um, TV is a business idea is a job. What I mean by that is that, you know, because um, feature development is like sending soldiers into fight at Stalingrad, like you just don't know, <laughs> you know, what's going to come out the other side. The idea of deadlines, the idea of, um, of what must be done when, you know, until you're actually in production is really just kind of very inchoate. It matters, but usually it it means more that, oh, you need to turn that script in because this person needs to read it over the weekend as opposed to you need to turn that script in because we're going to shoot it uh, the next day, right? Those are two very different problems. In TV, you know, you're really, if you're working on TV, unless you're working development, um, you're working for production. You are creating material to be produced and to be made. And so there's a whole production process that exists um, around that, uh, that you have to be aware of, you know, you have to be in even working in animation. You know, I I have to be aware of, you know, the limits of my resources. I have to be aware of, of my budget. I have to be aware of my cast. Um, you know, there are things that I think about when I am, I am writing my show that I don't think about, well, I'm working on my pilot for, for mist. And I don't think about when I'm writing features, not really for like the, for the very first draft anyway, not in the, not to the same degree, primarily that's, you know, it's, it's, it's theoretical in features when you write a, uh, a line of dialogue, right. That um, an actor is, is going to have to say it in television. It's actual, um, you're going to write a line and an actor is going to ask a question and you need to have an answer. What does this line mean? What's happening in the scene? Where is the scene turning? What am I doing? You know, what's my verb? You know, how am I coming into this thing? You know, you have to understand all that. Uh, You know, for me, very specifically, working on my animated show, you know, I need to have um, a very clear idea of what it is I want to see. I have to have a very clear idea of the point of view in my scene. I, I have to understand those things when I'm working on a feature, but... You know, to a certain extent, when you're working in development on features, you're kind of creating a selling document more than you're necessarily creating a shooting document. All those things are important. I don't ignore them. I don't pretend they don't exist. But, you know, I am less, I would say that I am, I am as concerned with the, with the feature script, um, with the development script, as a reading experience. Um, as a selling experience as I am with anything else. So there's lots of differences. I mean, you know, I think for the audience, when you sit down to watch a movie, your big question is what's going to happen next. When you sit down to watch a TV show, your big question is what is that person going to do next? So the, the things that we, that we, that we put front and center, uh, the, our, our values, our priorities in storytelling, I think are different between television and and features, even with, you know, some of the changes that have come to both uh, from streaming, I I think that's still true.
1: Can you walk us through the viability of different ideas for each medium? Obviously, in film, it seems they're only developing big, you know, sci-fi superhero films these days, as opposed to TV's a little bit more personal. From your experience, are there certain genres, certain things that writers should be careful to work on in either
2: so i mean it's a couple of different questions um i think certainly the the um, the features that like the first things that come to mind when we think about the movies are those big blockbusters right it's all the, the franchise movies it's the ip it's like it's whatever is the next big thing that's that's coming out or that should have been coming out but hasn't been you know because of a little pandemic but the truth is that movies are getting made in fact um, in the last few years, there's really been an upswing in development of, um, of movies kind of in the, in the mid-budget range. If you look at what Netflix is doing, what Amazon is doing, you know, movies are being produced that weren't quite um, on the radar of the, of the big studios before. If they were, they were, you know, they were being done by Searchlight, you know, or, or whoever, those opportunities exist i think in some ways like the opportunities for those things are better than they've been possibly in in decades but i think you know you do have to understand you know the the difference between what happens in a feature and what happens in a television series i mean television has its has its own has its own dangers it's it has its own issues things that it's it's fraught with i mean There is so much television that's out there, it is impossible to know and to have seen everything that's out there. Um, The good news is that, you know, it doesn't seem like there is any particular model for what television needs to be right now, unless somebody is spending a a buttload of money on it, uh, which is definitely happening. But you do have to have a solid idea of what makes your show a show. You have to have a solid idea of of why that show is not a feature. You have to really understand, I think, television and how it works and how it doesn't work. And be aware of how streaming has really has really changed that. Like what are the drivers? Because when you go to pitch, those are a lot of the questions. How will your show sustain itself? What is driving this show um episode by episode? How important is the balance between the serialized elements and, you know, just what we see, you know, every episode. I'm not going to say every week because good Lord, Netflix, you know, it's not every week. It's just every episode. So I don't know that that there are particular genres that are no-go or that there are genres that you must do. I, I think, and this has always been true, that you have to write the thing that makes sense to you that is the only way that you are going to you know uh send any signal through the noise Because if you're just contributing to the noise by definition you can't uh send signal that that anybody can pick up so you know what if you love rom-coms write fucking rom-coms man like you know if you like mysteries write that like i don't care what you like if you like it write it. Like somewhere there is probably an audience for it. And frankly, if you don't sell it, you'll at least make contact with somebody who thinks that you're talented and that you're good and can create an opportunity that that pops up later.
0: We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook.
2: What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favourite or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favourite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next.
0: Hi, I'm George and I'm Sam and we're from the That's a Classic Podcast on the Flicker and Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flicker and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week.
1: As far as the writing process, can you describe the difference both technically and also just the feeling of writing solo versus a writers room? where there's a lot more writers usually. Sure.
2: So look, I mean, features are lonely. Uh, <laughs> they are, frankly. <laughs> Whether you're working with a partner or you're not, um, you go off and write it and do, like go off and do a little poll and, and start pulling apart story problems and you know start throwing out solutions and, and trying to figure out how stuff works. And it's a lot of trial and error. And, you know, at some point you decide that, that you are quote unquote finished and you send it off for them to read. It goes into like a black hole and like, that's your feedback. Right. And like, uh, and it can be anything. It can be, this is great. Or we have notes or, or what have you. Like I'd say that the the primary difference is, um, is emotional when you're working on a writing staff, there's a little bit of a safety net, right? Because number one, if you're on staff, you've got the showrunner. And ultimately, as stressed as you might become, or as I've become, look, I always invest heavily creatively in the shows that I work on no matter what I'm doing, but the real pressure comes down on the showrunner. And that pressure really cannot be shared Um, and and it's it's simply unshareable. Uh, And I think think really good showrunners understand that, Uh, to tell you the truth. But when you have a room full of people who are solving a problem, and that room has been tuned so that its its energies are focused on problem solving, problem identification, um, and problem solving, uh, solution creating, I, then I think it's, it's wonderful. It's awesome. I mean, when you're writing your scripts, obviously there's the pressure of you're going to write your script, and then you're going to give it to the showrunner, and the showrunner might hate it, which is very you know, much the same emotional experience as working on a feature and sending it off to the producers or the studio. But at least you know when you're working on a show, if the even if the showrunner hates it, you know, unless like you're really like walking up thin ice, the showrunner is there to kind of help you make it better. He or she want you to make it better. They need it to be better. And you've got an army around you who are all dedicated to the same thing, making it better. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit faster in that respect. And then, you know, the, the, caveat on that, the asterisk is being the showrunner, very interesting experience. You know, it's not really like either one other than now as the showrunner, you inherit that, that pressure of things must be good. Things must, you know, meet, you know, my standard, um, you know, where I feel comfortable no, no matter what, no matter whose script, no matter Whose name is on a script? When I send it out, I feel nervous. No matter how great I think it is, I feel that anxiety, right? No matter whose name goes on a script, I pour myself into it with the same amount of, of energy that I do anything else. Um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, be a whole other conversation, but I think showrunners have power in, over their shows that directors simply do not have. Uh, over their features. I don't care who the director is, unless he's Spielberg. Tell
1: us about the difference in actually plotting out arcs for a singular story, a feature. You know, there's act structures and you're plotting against, you know, 120 pages versus, you know, a serialized TV show. You're plotting for your pilot, you're plotting through potentially, you know, the whole season. What are the differences in the way you think and approach those two different?
2: mediums to me the fundamental difference is real estate right so what i mean by that is how much room on the page i have to tell my story right how much i can digress and go off into parallels and all these other things um you know how how deeply i can delve into into things that i might find interesting um But might not be like on the surface the most important thing to telling the story that needs to be told. You know, I think that in the age of streaming, truly, the emotional structure of a feature and the emotional structure of a season of television are kind of exactly the same. Um, That's my experience. Uh, But when you get down into the nitty gritty, episode by episode, the structure of an episode, you know, again, it's, it's the same basic structure, but you're, but you're just telling the story in different ways. You're not like, you know, with the show that I'm doing now, it's like, it's eight episodes, uh, a season it's half hour episodes, right. That's, um, four hours. Right. So I guess, you know, the, 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 the first order thinking on that would be, that it's, oh, it's a four-hour movie. It's, it's not quite. Um, because to me, you know I, I still have to tell a satisfying individual story in every single one of those episodes, even though I am telling a story that is perfectly continuous. It's just a matter of kind of taking a, a, a model for storytelling and scaling it, uh, and then sort of understanding what you have room for and what you don't. When I started working on this show and it was half an hour. It's a half hour drama and there are big set pieces in it and all this stuff. I thought, oh my God, it's how the hell do you write a half hour drama? So I started writing, I started watching TV, watching shows specifically with that mind. And here's what I realized, man, there are very few shows on television that couldn't be half an hour, very few, because the things that get cut are like, you know, all the B stories or the C stories that nobody cares about, you know, all of the, those moments where you're just kind of servicing somebody versus actually putting a character in the episode versus, you know, telling the story in the most coherent and compelling way possible. So, you know, with, with my show, my philosophy was, okay, I'm going to just break it. Like it's an hour long show, but I'm going to cut out all the bullshit that, you know, that, uh, that I would wish that I didn't have to, to write or be saddled with <laughs> in an hour long. And it, and it kind of worked.
1: What about the script writing process itself? Whether it's the format, sitting down to write it, you know, actually writing an episode versus writing a feature script. Walk us through the details and the differences.
2: Sure. So I've learned a lot in the last, uh, in the last two years. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you generally, like, and my God, you could do, I'm sure you have done, episode after episode on, on feature structure, you know, and, and like, there's, you know, a million ways to skin a cat or save it. Um, you know, in TV, it's, it's a, it's a little, it's a little different. Um, number one, you, you have a much shorter page count. Number two, the structural requirements are a little bit different. That I think is changing. I think that's changing significantly. Uh, when I first started running my show, even though, you know, we're on Netflix, we don't have act breaks, we don't have to sell soap every 10 minutes. Um, I still structured those episodes as though we had to sell soap every 10 minutes. Um, which is really interesting. Uh, you know, and, and one of the things that I was think about when I'm getting to those act breaks is how are we going out on an act break that brings somebody back in, right? How do we sort of build up to a point? where the tension is high, where, like, the emotion is high. So the motivation on the audience's side remains high to kind of come back and continue to watch. And that's not a, that's not a bad thing um, by any stretch of the imagination. It's also not the wrong idea. It just, as it turns out, uh, isn't always necessary. It forces contortions into the story sometimes that don't necessarily have to have to be there. Um, as you know, the the show has gone on. What I've learned is that kind of doesn't matter. Like I've started to take um, animatics, I started to take cuts of of my episodes and restructure them completely off of you know what was in the script because I realized oh I don't actually have to stop you know at minute twelve and come back. I don't have that artificial break. Instead, I just need to maintain some sort of continuity of emotion here. And, and I need to, you know, to to change my POV into a, into a different story at this point, rather than that other point um, to kind of keep that, that emotional momentum going. And, you know, and I need my scenes to talk to each other in this way that otherwise they, they couldn't talk to each other in a network show or a show where we were uh, structuring on, on act breaks. You know, I I think that the, that the, um, the, Probably the biggest difference is, you know, you're you're building story, especially if you have interweaving stories, which you'll have much more of in a in a television show than a, than a feature. You're you're building stories within an episode, that crescendo that that climax, and then kind of move to the next story, right? So you're constantly building that up. So you're you're deferring denouement like quite a bit, um, and you're you're trying to kind of hold. Um, Hold the audience through um, multiple, uh, you know, multiple climaxes, which, Jesus, that sounds wrong. But you (laughs) are. This is what you're trying to do. In a feature, you want everything to come together in a point, right? You just want it in that point. And then, you know, you can have your denouement, like however your denouement looks, whatever feels right to you. You know, the, the scripts are obviously shorter. You know, I, I've read a number of um, of specs that are, you know, either spec episodes of shows or spec pilots that uh, commit an unpardonable sin. Um, and, and that unpardonable sin is, especially in spec pilots, they get to like page 58 and the story just stops, right? Oh, it's a cliffhanger and we're, we're done. Like, no, that's not how you do it. <laughs> like, even in a show um, that is in fact... Uh, serialized and then it goes from one to the next. That's that's not how you do it. A pilot is not uh, a feature cut in two. It's also not a short feature. You know your your requirement in a pilot is that you know you have to launch a character with a problem who's on a journey uh, who is in a story that can sustain that journey um, and inspire scenes that allow you to bring meaning. To the story of the character who goes through an emotional change over a very long span, as opposed to a two hour span. Um, features that are much more sudden.
0: Ashley, are you
1: ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions?
2: Dude, I have two for you. <laughs> so,
1: yes. <laughs> Love that. The first one you mentioned IP at one point during this conversation, and you've written for an established ip actually multiple for x-men as an example what is the difference between writing for an established ip and writing for maybe something more original
2: with an established ip uh you know everybody is nervous about the golden goose and you know there is there is definitely that that thought you know in the, in the back of my head that okay um this is somebody's golden goose but also I go into those things only when it's something I feel like, wow, I really love that. And this means something to me. And so my passion for it is really the stand in um, for the worry of the, you know, of the network, of the studio, of the IP holder, you know, of, of whomever. Um, you know, you do, you know, have to kind of meet them where they are in terms of their expectations for the IP. But I, I have also learned that, you know, most of the time, believe it or not, and this is the dirty little secret. When they come to you, they don't know what they want you to do. They have a list of things they hope you don't do. They have a list of things that like, you know, that if they could think about you doing it, they would think they hope you don't. It's they're just running on fear. It's, uh, you know, and once it's you're in a place where you realize that, where, you know, a lot of kind of what's behind their expectations, behind their notes, behind a lot of things they say is like, is anxiety over taking care of that, that property, taking care of that golden goose. And, you know, you can, again, meet them where they are. You can, you can meet them in a place um, where you can mitigate that anxiety by saying, it's cool. I understand this and I'm going to lay out for you how I understand. It so you understand. It. Um, and it's going to be great. And you're going to love it. Like, it just, it helps them, right? When you bring the anxiety down, um, then they're into it. They're cool. Like, the other nice thing about working on Big IP is that the chances of it getting made are excellent. Uh, I just So I mean, sometimes it doesn't happen, but, but the chances of it getting made are really good. With an original, you know, there's only you, you know, sitting in front of that computer, like, being worried about it. But only for me, like worried in the sense that I am, you know, fully realizing uh, the thing that's that's in my head. I mean, on some level, I could care less if somebody likes it or not. Like I'd say, you, you know, I just I worry more. Do I like it? Um, you know, I am I am infamous for just for throwing out drafts, like just god awful numbers of of pages. Like actually, whether it's original or it's something that's an assignment, but. Um, I'm I'm generally writing to, to please me uh, and to mitigate my own anxiety by doing something that I go, yeah, you know what? I actually, I like that. I feel really good about it.
1: You were talking about IP. What about for those writers who are working on their own unique stories and want to develop those to a point where it becomes an IP? Is there a particular route you'd suggest? Are comic books the best way to go about that these days? Is it you know, an original script just ends up becoming its own thing.
2: Look, 10 years ago, I would have told you that, that the way to go was um, you create a comic book, right? You do a graphic novel. You do whatever. You write a book. Um, and today, my answer is, sure. But the only reason why you should do that is if you think it will be an awesome comic book. If you think it will be an awesome novel. If you think in that form it is worthy. Uh, I think, you know, if you are creating something in some other format with a thought in your head that you're gonna create some IP that somebody's gonna buy and they're gonna want and then they're gonna turn into a thing, you're nuts. I mean, point to it, right? right. Like point to the thing that became that. Anything that became that. Um, you know, and I'm sure there might be an example or two, uh, but it is you are statistically more likely to walk outside and get hit in the head by a satellite falling from the sky. Only at least in that case, the satellite is doing all the work and then you are blissfully unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Just write the best thing that you can. Like if you like have a, have a script that's awesome, you have a great original idea, write it, make it great. Don't worry about is it going to be IP? Is it going to be a franchise? Is it going to be what? Let all of that go. You know, be an artist first.
1: Love that. My last question, that was a great piece of advice. But if you had to choose one piece of advice for learning from your entire career that you'd like to pass along to the writers listening right now, what is the one thing you would say?
2: Sure. Um, it is the inscription in, uh, in my copy of American gods. Uh, one of my, my my very best friend actually saw Neil Gaiman at a book signing, and uh, he bought me the book, and he and he uh, he, he got the book signed, and he asked uh, Neil to write some advice to me in the book. And the advice that he wrote was Ashley, finish things, Neil Gaiman. So the advice that I have is finish things. First part of that advice is finish right, like you start writing a script you start writing a book you start writing a whatever write it to its conclusion finish it um the the second important thing in that advice is the plural finish things not finish the thing finish things finish the first thing move on to the second thing and finish it move on to the third thing and finish it write 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 Um, always be creating always be writing you will not achieve mastery uh if you write one script and think well this is great my mom loves it my friends think it's awesome and you know i'm entitled to everybody loving that's not going to happen finish 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 i think in part i've i've been blessed with the career that i have had because i had a lot of opportunities to finish a lot of things not just you know finishing the outlines or finishing the scripts but You know, seeing things shot, seeing dailies, seeing episodic cuts, watching what happens. So I understand scenes coming to the understanding that writers don't write scripts. We write scenes, finishing scenes and moving on um, to the next one. That's the best advice that I think I could give any writer. Finish things.
1: Love that. Well, thank you, Ashley. Did you want to plug anything at all? Website, social media, Twitter handle, projects? Anything you want to shout out?
2: Sure. Um, first of all, on Twitter, you can find me at AshMasterZero. Uh, Sorry, spell now. out. Um, I uh, I do a uh, about twenty six episodes a, a year a movie podcast called the Four Thirty Movie, um, which is a lot of fun. It's available on the Electric Now network um, and anywhere you get uh, fine podcasts. And uh, I am a regular uh, guest on the uh, Inglorious Trucksburgs Star Trek podcast, also available on uh, Electric Surge. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you again, Ashley. We really appreciate your insights, your time. It was an honor. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thanks again. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you
0: next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin MacLeod.